0: The Lord hath said unto me by his word I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom preach the word amen be instant in season out of season reprove rebuke exhort with all long suffering and doctrine for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth, and shall be turned unto fables. But watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of thy ministry." Open the word of God to Romans chapter eight. Romans chapter eight. I am to preach the word and I will give you the word. I thank God for the eighth chapter of Romans and I know that many of you do. It is a chapter of assurance, security, comfort, encouragement, and strength. For God's saints who might at times be fearful or doubt their salvation. Feed yourself on Romans chapter 8. I read to you two verses for our consideration this morning. Verses 33 and 34 of this 8th chapter of Romans. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect. It is God that justifieth. Who is He that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. Amen. amen and amen. This is the word of the Lord to us this day. As we learn by reading and gathering the sense of the 28th verse, the promise that all things work together for good is only for those that love God. Right, right. The assurance and comfort of Romans 8, 29-39 is only for those who believe in election and predestination. Right. Without believing in election and predestination, you presume upon God to even enter this passage. This is not for you if you don't believe in election and predestination. I am not saying for the simple-minded that Arminians cannot be saved. I am saying that the true assurance and the truth of the passage is only for those that believe election and predestination. Don't memorize and quote Romans 8, 38, and 39 about never being separated from the love of God unless you believe in election and predestination. Because without election and predestination, those words about never being separated from the love of God have no meaning. The vast majority, and when I say that, I mean... Somewhere above 99% of so-called Christians that are filling pews today and ministers filling pulpits believe that God loved all men equally. If God has ever loved them and to send his son Jesus Christ for them, then the 38th and 39th verses tell us they can never be separated from that love. That's right. Now will you tell me how God is showing them his love with the vast majority of them being in the lake of fire for eternity? Right. They corrupt the word of God. They profane the love of God our Father. They blaspheme our Lord Jesus Christ by making his death a thing of nothing. Because they say that Jesus Christ died for all the sins of all men. I ask, how can any one of them then end up in hell? Because the 32nd verse tells us, He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up, how shall He not also with Him freely give us all things? It is logically, and it is by the nature of God, impossible for God to have given the greatest gift, His Son, for all the sins of all men, and not communicate all other spiritual blessings that those men need in order for all of them to be in heaven. They corrupt the Word of God, They profane the love of God and they blaspheme the death of our Lord Jesus Christ. This passage is not for them. If the love of God and the death of Jesus Christ and the ministry of the Holy Spirit makes no difference between those in heaven and in hell, then they can go write their own Bible with all the emphasis on their faith and works. This passage of Scripture... Puts all the emphasis on the God of heaven and his Son Jesus Christ. And if you were to read the whole chapter, then upon the Holy Spirit as well. And that is Romans chapter 8. 39 verses dedicated to the Trinity and the Godhead of our glorious God working out our salvation. By the operations of grace, according to his own will and purpose, established and initiated before the world began, and most certainly resulting in glorification for every single one that he ever set his affection upon. This is the word of the Lord. I preach it. You better believe it. It's the truth. I'm sorry that we are in such a small minority. I wish this same sound and sense was going out in many other pulpits. I pray to that end. I beg you to pray to that end. I wish we were the smallest of all assemblies that believe these things. I wish that there were congregations gathered together in many places that believe this word. But this is the word of the Lord. Amen. I am so tired and sick of their idea of God's love, their idea of Christ's death, and their idea of the Holy Spirit's work. The love of God was set upon a specific and particular people and it shall be never lifted from them and it will result in their eternal well-being. The death of the Lord Jesus Christ was to pay for all the sins of those particular and special people that God gave to Him called the elect of God, the sheep of Jesus Christ and they shall never suffer for their sins, not a single one of them and they shall all be clothed in His perfect righteousness. The Holy Spirit by divine covenant, comes and regenerates every single one of them by creating in them a new man so that they are prepared by in nature to be acceptable in the presence of God and to worship Him here on earth. This is the word of the Lord. I have no fables for you today that God loves all men. What a God they worship. Most of the people that He loves... He torments exquisitely for eternity in the lake of fire. What a sacrifice paid by Jesus. It didn't pay for their sins. Because Revelation tells me that they are in the lake of fire for the sins of lying. For the sins of fearfulness. For the sins of witchcraft. If Jesus paid for those sins, why are they paying for them? Are you telling me that our own Constitution has a greater degree of justice than the Word of God and His plan of salvation, where there cannot be such a thing as double jeopardy? There is therefore now no condemnation of them which are in Christ Jesus. The chapter begins. How did we get in Christ Jesus where there is no condemnation? Ephesians chapter 1 tells us that we were chosen in Him before the foundation of the world. Second Timothy 1.9 tells us that God put His purpose and grace in us in Christ. His purpose and grace in Christ for us before the world began. Second right. Timothy 1.9. That's how we get in Christ. And this chapter, starting with that wonderful declaration, concludes with these wonderful verses. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. The apostle identifies personal enemies of the Roman saints and personal enemies in their minds. Notice that in verse 31 it says, who can be against us? There's a who, a personal opponent. In verse 33, who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? There's a a personal pronoun, a personal enemy. Verse 34, who is he that condemneth? Is he personal pronoun? Verse 35, who shall separate us? There is no one in heaven or on earth that can separate you from the love and purpose of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Get that straight because that's what this is all about. The apostle has listed God's operations of grace in verses 29 and 30 and they are inviolate. When God chose to love a people called his foreknowledge in verse 29, that foreknowledge extended to their predestination where their destiny as God's children with his eternal inheritance was guaranteed, purposed, planned, and settled before the world began. That's what predestination means. Our eventual destiny was established and purposed planned and perfected in the covenant of God before the world began. That predestination leads to our calling, our appointment, and our ordination, and our vocation as the sons of God for eternity. In order to be so, we must be justified. And once justified, we shall most certainly be glorified as God gets rid of the last sinful thing about us, our bodies. And there is the chain of God's operation of grace. And it's in Romans 29 and 30. And the Apostle said, based on that descriptive chain, in verse 31, the Apostle said, If God be for us, who can be against us? What do these things say to us? What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? Right. And there's that who. If God is on our side for salvation... No one can be against us. There is no place in that chain where anyone in heaven or in hell, an angel spirit or a human spirit, including your own, can ever get in between two links of that chain and break that chain. If God be for us, the guarantee of God's performance for us is found in the 32nd verse. If you might wonder, I see this power. I see this assurance. I see this comfort. Verses 29 and 30 are beautiful. They're complete. They extend from the beginning before creation to the end. My ultimate and final glorification in heaven. How do I know that God has truly committed Himself to this? The 32nd verse. He that spared not His own Son, but delivered Him up for us all. How shall He not? It is impossible. It is impossible logically, it is impossible by His nature. It is impossible by the rules of reason of arguing from the greater to the lesser. If God gave the gift of His only begotten Son for the sake of those that He predestinated, they will most certainly be glorified. Because once He committed Himself by paying the price of the surety, His own Son, He will perform every other step or operation of grace necessary to get them into heaven. The answer to 31 is in verse 32. The guarantee of God's performance is the gift of His Son. Herein is love. Not that we loved God, but that God loved us. And gave His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. First John chapter 4. Around verses nine and 10. But now we come to 33. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. A charge here is an accusation. It's a sin. It's a condition. It's a problem. It's a fault. It's guilt that can be laid to the charge of God's people. But the Bible tells us who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect. It is God that justifieth. And if God did the justifying, then they are truly justified. There is nothing that can be laid to their charge. Every sin they've committed has been paid for. Every condition necessary has been fulfilled there is nothing to lay to their charge. Who? No one in heaven or in hell. No one on earth. No one of an angel spirit and no one of a human spirit can lay anything to our charge because God has justified us. If God is for us, from His foreknowledge of us to our eventual glorification, no one can by any means charge us. Though we do sin... And though we might fear charges of sin from devils or men ourselves, God justified us. Satan used to charge men in heaven. Remember with me, Job. Satan among the sons of God, that is the angels of God, into God's presence because he had access to the presence of God under the Old Testament. In the presence of God, he was confronted by the Lord Jehovah, who said, Hast thou considered my servant Job? There's none like him in the earth. I want to remind you of something I said earlier. God discriminates. And men discriminate themselves by being exceptional by the way they live upon earth. And God takes recognition of it. I pray God that there might be men and women and boys and girls that by the influence of this church and this pulpit would distinguish themselves in the sight of God like Job did. Hast thou considered my servant Job? There's none like him in the earth. He fears God. He's perfect. He eschews evil. Satan immediately went to work accusing him and charging him with false motives. Wrong values. Wrong values. Misplaced priorities. The only reason Job fears you is because you have blessed everything that he touches. He is a rich man, and he lives a relative life of leisure, and he has power and influence, and he has a huge family with a huge household and great possessions. If you take away the things that he has, he'll curse you to your face. Try it. Job fell down and worshiped and said, the Lord gave and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Right. The whole event took place again. His skin. Job has enjoyed good health all the days of his life. He's strong. He's never been afflicted with diseases like other men. If you'll let me touch his body, I'll curse you to your face take his life, anything next to it. He cursed him with sore boils, from the crown of his head to the sole of his feet. And as when his wife came and told him, look at all this misfortune that's happened to you, curse God and die, he said, you speak like the foolish women speak. Shall we only receive good at the hand of God? Job survived. Job succeeded, and Job was a winner in the sight of God. My point is not Job. My point is Satan. My point is Satan. Are there secret sins you have that you have thought in your heart? Are there sins, secret sins, of things you've done, things you've said, things you've looked at, things you haven't done, things you should have done, The devil knows about them. He has enough angels. He's not omniscient. But he has enough of his angels walking to and fro in this earth to know about you. That's why the Bible tells you to give no place to the devil. Because he's walking about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour he can tell the difference between someone who is giving him a place and someone who is resisting him. He knows. You know, and he knows about your secret sins. You may be able to hide them from your family. You may be able to hide them from the church. But the Lord knows every one of your thoughts, and Satan knows many of them, because they come out in your actions. But we don't have to fear that something can happen in the presence of God like happened to Job because Satan no longer has any access to the throne of God. Heaven is too small a place for the Lord Jesus Christ and the devil. Jesus Christ has paid for all our sins, secret. By ignorance and presumptuous. And he was cast out of heaven, according to Revelation chapter 12. When Satan was cast out of heaven, it says this, I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, and when did this take place? At the crucifixion, resurrection, and ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus said, now is the prince of this world judged, as Jesus went to the cross in John chapter 12 and verse 31. But in Revelation it says, I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now is come salvation. When did salvation come? When Jesus Christ the man-child ascended up into heaven and took his rightful place at the right hand of God. Now is come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb. All our martyr fathers fulfilled the 11th verse. The 10th verse was fulfilled with the Lord Jesus Christ. And so when the Bible says, Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. The devil is ruled out. He cannot go into the presence of God and tell God your secret sins and bring them to bear to charge as charges against you. Now the Lord knows about your secret sins, and if you're one of God's elect, they will not stand in your way because the book of life has been washed with the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ in effect, and you will be saved. But that doesn't mean that there won't be chastening upon your life while you're in this world because of sinning. Right. God will steal away your comfort, your assurance, your security. If you allow sin in your life to be unconfessed, who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? No man of any religion can lay charges against God's elect because they are perfectly righteous by the justification of God. The devil may afflict them with darts of doubt about their own salvation, but he can't make any headway with God. Judaizers came into the churches of the New Testament, and they told those saints that unless they kept the law of Moses and were circumcised, they could not be saved. Right. A great council was called in Jerusalem recorded for us in Acts 15 on the basis of their charges. They laid charges against the blood-bought saints of the Lord Jesus Christ that if they didn't keep the law of Moses, they couldn't be saved. A great council came together, and the apostles concluded before James even spoke with these words. Why tempt ye God to put a yoke upon the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved even as they. The only way of salvation for Jew or Gentile was by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, which was the means and the instrument of God justifying us. How did God justify us? Jesus suffered the penalty for all our sins, and we were had imputed or accounted to us His perfect righteousness. So who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It's not the devil, and it's not the Judaizers. Pagan Nero, with a great crowd, and the majority of the Roman Empire, could charge the Apostle Paul with sedition and treason against his government, and consign him under whatever blasphemous oaths he chose to give him, but there's no man in heaven or in earth, or in hell beneath. That can lay anything to the charge of God's elect. The Apostle Paul stood before him on at least two occasions. And he said, the Lord stood with me and delivered me out of the mouth of the lion. And the Lord will deliver me from every evil work and preserve me unto his heavenly kingdom. Because it is God that justifieth. Pope Innocent III, in the name of Jesus, burned our fathers at the stake. In the name of Jesus. Jesus. And as they stood there, and the great majority of the so-called Christians on earth condemned them, ridiculing them, and despising them, and charging them as being outside the one and only true church, and outside the one and only true representative of God on earth, that their souls were going to be sent to hell for their sedition and heresies, and then lit those faggots around their feet, Romans 8.33 was still true. Right, right. Who shall anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. And the moment their spirits left their charred bodies, they were in the presence of the Lord. Yes. Amen. Praise Amen. God because of Romans 8.33. No man can charge the elect with sin, nor charge them with conditions to be justified. It doesn't matter if it's Pope Innocent III or the Judaizers. Because you haven't taken Holy Communion in Mother Church. Because you do not swear allegiance to God's vicar, Jesus Christ's vicar on earth. Because you deny the Mother of God. Because you have not been baptized. The Roman Catholic way, your soul will sink into hell. And our brethren stood there, and remembered Romans 8:33, "Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. The religious leaders, ordained by God, stood around the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ and said that his miracles were by the power of Beelzebub. And God forsook him when he was on trial and needed God more than at any point in his life. But he remembered Isaiah 50, verses 7 through 9. He that justifieth me is near me. He will help me. And they shall all consume away like a garment under the work of moths. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Amen. God has justified us. We have no enemies to face hardly. Except you look out and you see the Christian world united against us. We weren't baptized the way they baptize. We don't believe their little decisions for Jesus amount to anything. We don't believe their good works done the way they teach them amount to anything. And yet there's so many of them. And some of them live, live lives equal to or better than us. And it might trouble our hearts. And they would say, you little old-fashioned Baptists, you've missed the boat. You're so extreme. You've missed the boat. But we would say, who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? Right. It is God that justifieth. If you don't believe in election, then you can't get into this passage because this passage makes a huge difference among mankind, those God has chosen and those he hasn't. The Bible says elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through sanctification of the Spirit unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. What did God choose us to? The obedience of Jesus Christ, the obedience of one in Romans 5:19 not our obedience his obedience not our sprinkling of the blood of Christ by some ceremonial act or ritualistic act but by his sprinkling of his blood before the presence of God through the eternal spirit Hebrews 9:14 God is the justifier not us not faith not missions God is the justifier and not one he intended to justify Will not be justified. We were elect according to the obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Christ. Which brings us to the 34th verse. Who is he that condemneth? Who is he? We know our motives are mixed up. Sometimes. We know our values are wrong sometimes. We know our priorities get out of line sometimes. We know that we are guilty of past sins. That we have present sinfulness that reaches out to get us every minute. We know that we shall, though we hate it. And sometimes we don't hate it like we should. Shall sin in the future. We know that we have sins of ignorance. We grieve that we have sins of presumption. We commit sins. And we have sins by omission. We have sins before we were converted and knew better we have sins after we were converted and knew better. You have a lot of sins and a lot of charges and you could easily be condemned. But who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died. The Lord Jesus Christ took every one of those sins of every kind, past, present, and future and blotted them out by his perfect substitutionary death in our place. And then, by having never sinned ignorantly or presumptuously, by commission or omission, past, present, or future, he never sinned. He never got his values out of line, his priorities out of place. He always sought the will of his Father in heaven. That perfect righteousness drapes us in the sight of God. And in the legal books of heaven, you are recorded in the Lamb's book of life with the perfect righteousness of the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world of his elect, whether they be Jew or Gentile. Of course it doesn't mean he took away the sin of the whole world. Then the whole world would be in heaven. What in the world could they be sent to hell for? Arminianism is insanity. It blasphemes the God of the Bible and destroys the integrity and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Their love of God is the love of a whore. He spreads it indiscriminately on anyone. Everyone. The love of our God and the death of the Lord Jesus Christ is a special and particular Eternal and never-changing love toward His elect only. And He loves them and He will make sure that He loves them and takes care of them and perfects them. And once He's begun a good work in you, He is going to perform it until the day of Jesus Christ until you are perfectly in His presence. That's what love always does. Their their love is is insane. It's hatred. If they're God, and I've said this now three times, I know... Thus far, when I repeat myself, not today, but in three recent sermons, their God does not know what true love is. Their God, knowing that most of mankind was going to come into existence and reject the gospel, and God would send them to hell, He went ahead and created them anyway. And they call that the love of God. We understand that the great God of heaven made some vessels for wrath and they are called vessels of dishonor. We would never apply the love of God toward them. The love of God extends to the vessels of mercy which he hath afore prepared into glory. Though we have been despised as the off-scouring of the world in our ancestors, in faith, who is he that condemneth a single one of them? Right. It is God that justifieth. And it's Jesus Christ that died. Neither Caesar, nor Pope of Rome, nor any civil or religious ruler can condemn the elect. They are covered by the perfect work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died. It is God that justifieth. After all, God is the judge of all men. God is the judge, and God has declared them righteous. God has declared that He is satisfied that all their sins have been paid for. God has declared it. Isaiah 53. Jesus has declared it. It is finished. Jesus is in heaven, having Succeeded in everything God gave him to do. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died. Now there'll be four aspects here of our freedom from condemnation. I have thus far left one enemy out. And it's the one I fear the most with some of us. And that's You. And that's me. Those of you that are of a more melancholy disposition, you know your sins. They grieve you. And you are such a ready target for the devil's fiery darts. But I give you Romans chapter 8. There is no one in heaven or in hell that can lay anything to your charge, including God himself. God knows your sins and your faults better than you can even in your wildest imagination get a hold of them. And He has already declared you just. The Lord Jesus Christ is called the Word of God in Hebrews 4.12. And He knows all the thoughts and intents of your heart. Everything is naked and open under the eyes of Him with whom we have to do. And he died for every one of those things he already knew about you. He has washed you in his blood. Who who shall condemn you? (laughs) Don't you condemn you? You've got enough enemies without you condemning you. The devil is your enemy, but God's put him away. I've already explained this all. The Pope is your enemy. The self-righteous critics in this world are your enemy. The Judaizers were the enemies of the saints in the New Testament. They've been put away by God's justifying work through the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't you take up their fiery darts yourself and stab yourself. That's horrible. That's horrible. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Thou shalt be saved. Believe this record here. This is for you. God has chosen and elected you Jesus Christ has died for you, yea, rather. If someone died for us, we might be a little nervous. Was their death good enough to save us from condemnation? I wish they were still around to go to bat for me. I wish they were still around to pray for me. Speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ, if all He had done is die for us. And so we have those words that I have loved to explain to you. Because I can still remember when Romans 5.10 and Romans 8.34 and Hebrews chapter 7 came to me with power by the Lord's blessing to see His work after the cross. Yea, rather, who is risen again. So that He would come to John in Revelation chapter 1 and say, I was dead, but I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of hell and of death. And he wasn't trying to threaten John that he was going to open hell and death and put John there. He had the keys of hell and death to open and deliver. Amen. Right. Hell and death. Because he was the first one to do it. John, John watched him get buried. John knew where his tomb was. And yet that Lord Jesus Christ appeared to him and said, "I am alive forevermore. I have the keys," not meaning a literal key ring, but meaning the authority and power and dominion over hell and the death. Right, right. Because he's risen. He's defeated it. Amen. Look at me, John. I was dead, but now I'm alive forevermore. And brethren, look at your savior. Stop looking at yourself. Why are you so self-occupied? Get Christ-occupied. Get your eyes off you. Your sins are nothing compared to the blood of Jesus Christ. Get your eyes on Jesus Christ. His perfect life. His perfect death for you. He didn't lay down His life for Himself. Isaiah chapter 53 tells us He was cut off for you. It was our iniquities that were laid upon him, but they've been laid there. Don't go looking for them. I wish you were all so settled. Let let me, let me rephrase it. I wish we were all so settled in our faith in what Jesus Christ has done for us that the only enemies I would ever have to deal with are those outside like a pope or a Caesar or a Judaizer or the devil. But I'm saying to you and I'm saying to me, the more we look at the Lord Jesus Christ and what he did for us, the less we'll see of our sinfulness and we'll see all the mercy of God wrapped up in him who loved us and gave himself for us, who paid for every single sin we shall ever commit and who laid his perfect acts of obedience and righteousness, which were numberless upon us so in the sight of God we are justified and no one can condemn us, including God Himself. Because He that spared not His own Son but delivered Him up for us, how shall He not also with Him freely give us all things? Amen. That is risen again. He's defeated death. And the Bible says He's the first fruits of them that slept. Do you know what right. you are? Do you know what you are? You're the second fruit. Right. You're the latter fruit. You're the latter harvest, but he's the first fruits. Oh, yes, we shall rise because he rose. But he didn't just rise from the dead. He ascended into heaven. Now, I want you to know that he had the guilt of all your sins on him. How in the world could he ascend into the presence of God with your filthy, stinking, repetitive sins on him? Because they were gone. Your sins and mine. Listen, mine were enough to cut you out. If there was a limit to the redemption that is in Jesus Christ, and if I am saved, you're not. Because I exceeded the limit. But there is no limit. Our sins are washed away with the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ, when He came into heaven... Did he approach the throne of Almighty God to take the book of the everlasting covenant out of it and have God say, Oh no, you've still got some sins. There's some sins that we need to take care of. We still have a little problem. That's how some of you think. Let me rephrase that. That's how some of us think at times. There's still a little problem. Oh no, there was no problem. They rejoiced in heaven. The four and twenty elders burst out into song. The angels burst into song. The redeemed burst into song. Every creature in heaven and earth burst into song because Jesus went straight to the throne of Almighty God and took the book of the covenant out of His hand and ripped off the seals because all the sins were put away. There was no problem. There is no problem. You're going to go into heaven as straight and fast and forward as Jesus Christ did. Believe that today. Believe it. From Romans 8.34, Who is he that condemneth? Don't you condemn yourselves. You condemn yourselves, you make light of the Lord Jesus Christ. You make light of God's faithfulness. You make light of God's justice. Jesus paid for your sins. If you think you're still under their burden, and they are still between you, and you are still condemned, then God isn't faithful. God isn't just. God isn't righteous. And Jesus Christ is not worth much. Get over it. Read the Bible about the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. He's more than enough. Right. We, according to Isaiah chapter 40, comfort comes through the gospel because we have received twice, double, for all our sins. Amen. It is Christ that died. One thing. Yea, rather, that is risen again. Two things. He defeated death and hell. Three things. Who was even at the right hand of God. Is the right hand of one of full approval? Full affection? Is that the most delightful spot in a kingdom according to the record of the Bible? Right there? Do you know what? He's there with your sins. That's not a good way to put it. It's not what you mel- melancholy. Melancholy jury, please disregard that remark. He is there after having your sins upon him, but he paid for all of them. They were all completely wiped away so that the sin bearer in your place is so accepted, he is at God's right hand. And what's he doing there? Has he forgotten about you? Has he forgotten about you? No no way. Who also maketh intercession for us. He is praying for you, reminding God about you by name, by circumstance. Listen, God's mind does not get clouded like yours does when you have two children come and ask you something at the same time and you have to say, "Wait, Wait, 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 wait. I can't understand two conversations at once. Would you please wait and let me hear this one? See, God doesn't have to do that. Jesus Christ is taking care of all of us all the time. He ever liveth to make intercession for us. We shall never be lost. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also... Maketh intercession for us. My elect brethren, get your eyes off yourself, get your eyes off the opinion of anyone else, and see the opinion of God and His Son Jesus Christ put in writing by the Spirit of God. No one can lay anything to your charge, no one can condemn you. You are God's. He started out in the beginning with you as His own and he shall end up in the end with you as his own in heaven forever. May Jesus Christ bless the preaching of his word. Amen.